Now, <clears throat> I also appreciate very much all who are here, and uh, <clears throat> you've all been very accommodating in keeping into the middle section of the auditorium as requested, and you have accommodated the conveners and myself in that way. And I'll promise that as a gesture of gratitude, I'll, I'll return your compliment, and I'll be very brief. I'll hardly get finished for five o'clock, but I'll be aiming towards five o'clock, and what I want to say, I will say it as concisely as possible. Now, before I speak, I want to read from the Scriptures, if you have a Bible, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, and for many at least it will be a very familiar passage, Acts of the Apostles and chapter 8. And we read, the, we read the story. It's a very interesting narrative. Never becomes stale. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> and Philip arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him. Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. <clears throat> we'll just draw the line there. Trust the Lord's blessing again upon this little piece of, of Bible biography. <clears throat> Today's date... Is, is a very significant date for those who have a, an interest in, in what would be called Christian history. On the 28th of September, in the year 1931, this date in 31, C.S. Lewis was converted. Now, he himself writes the story of his spiritual pilgrimage in his book, Surprised by Joy. He was a man who was notorious for getting dates mixed up, so that the evidence for the exact date 
requires quite a bit of patching and piecing and comparing together. There is a very definitive autobiography of C.S. Lewis. I can tell you later what it is if you're interested in it. But the traditional, widely accepted date for his conversion, and I'll give you more details about that in a minute, is the 28th of September, 1931. He has become, as you know, a very widely read author, prolific apologist, advocate of Christianity, but it wasn't always like that. C.S. Lewis was born in November 1898 in the city of Belfast. He was brought up in a house just, just oh, a very, very short distance from where our brother, Mr. Donald Armstrong, and his wife live. Brother Armstrong has been speaking here over the weekend, just across Across a few blocks is where, from where Donald lives is where C.S. Lewis was brought up. He and a brother, father and mother. His mother died of cancer when Charles, when Clive Staples Lewis was 10 years old. He was crushed. He and his father, a bit of a strained relationship, but he was very close to his mother. And her death left him really disorientated and crushed and bewildered. His older brother had gone to study in boarding school in England. And uh, C.S. Lewis's father, Alfred, decided that young C.S. Lewis would have to go to boarding school as well. That was a devastating thing for him. He was a boy who didn't fit in very well. He was, I suppose nowadays, we would say that he was bullied at school. And boarding school was very daunting, very overwhelming. He found difficulty with mathematics. So that might be a comfort to you. You could still be brilliant and not be a good mathematician. He found difficulty, but he was a man with English, English literature, philosophy, all those kind of things. A very rambling mind, curious mind, investigative. And, uh, but boarding school was very, very difficult. Eventually, he did arrive at a boarding school that was very acceptable under the tutelage of a very, a very clever man called Kirkpatrick. He actually, Mr. Kirkpatrick taught in the town where I myself live, the town of Lurgan, taught in the very school that I attended many years after Kilpatrick's time. But Kilpatrick was a brilliant man. Unfortunately, Kilpatrick had little sympathy for the Bible. And as well as tutoring young C.S. Lewis in the various subjects that were essential, and even helping him to get through the exams that took him into Oxford, he also fed into, into uh, C.S. Lewis's mind some strains of infidelity. You see, even though Lewis had been brought up in a, a fairly traditional Christian atmosphere, once he moved away for education, once he began to rub shoulders with other people, some of those great doctrines of the Bible became diluted in his thinking. It often happens to young people. I say to younger people here, you be careful if you have to move away from home for education. Sometimes that is unavoidable. It's inevitable. And very often people become disconnected with their moorings. And they become open and susceptible to many, many different influences. Eventually, after a time in military service, Imagine C.S. Lewis being in the trenches. You can imagine how traumatic, traumatic that was for the man. It wasn't his cup of tea. It wasn't his type of thing. Nevertheless, it made a contribution to his life. Brought him, it brought him actually close to um, men who were being suddenly carried into eternity. 
made him think about the other world. Unsteadied him, unsettled him. In a sense, it sobered him. But eventually, Lewis came back, was admitted to studies at Oxford University, did very, very well, eventually became a professor of English literature there, and the rest of the story really is history. But when he was in Oxford, he, uh, he espoused atheism. And he argued for the fact that there is no God. There is no solid, substantial evidence. And he became quite the atheist. It was the fashionable thing. If you were going to be at Oxford, if you were going to appear to be intellectual, if you were going to have good standing with your academic peers, well, the fashionable thing is to say that there is no God. It's only people who have small minds, people who have less education than would be desirable. It's only people like that, deprived and limited, who have any such concept of a God. So, C.S. Lewis, he graduated to think that there is no God. Never was really comfortable. Uh You know, I want to tell you, there are very few atheists in the world who beneath it all are really comfortable. Because in the heart of every human being, there is a monitor that acknowledges the existence of God and tells me that I'm accountable to the God who made me and we will all stand before God. So he was never comfortable even though there was the exterior screen, the shell of hard-nosed atheism. Eventually, eventually, C.S. Lewis in his 20s, we're now into the 1920s, He reached a point where he could no longer defend his atheism. And he moved from atheism to being a theist. So that he did believe now that there's a God. A God who was a creator. A God who was supreme. A God who was an eternal, invisible being. A God for whom there was an abundance of evidence. He began to believe in God. And that made quite a change. He began to have conversations with others who had biblical convictions and Christian convictions. And uh, he still didn't believe in Jesus Christ. So that he's a believer in God, but he's not a Christian. In his conversations with some who had Christian leanings, J.R. Tolkien and some of those others, Dyson Hagen, others that I'll not mention now, he began to think more and more about the claims of Jesus Christ. He used to consider Jesus Christ just to be a figure of history whose story had been embellished and enlarged and expanded, not to be taken very seriously, a good moralistic teacher and so on so forth, but it ended there. One supreme God, and then a rather unusual person called Jesus Christ in a different category altogether. But this still preyed on his mind. This still made him think. And then he began to take the story of the Gospels very seriously. Jesus Christ. The miracles that he performed. He cut a figure on the stage of human history that was the most commanding presence ever to be seen. I want to speak to you all just this evening about the claims of Jesus Christ. One particular evening in 1931, 
C.S. Lewis had a conversation with some of his Christian companions and it ran late into the evening. And the main topic, the main theme of discussion, consideration and conversation was who is Jesus Christ? Is he a good man? Is he, to put it a little notch higher, is he a prophet? Could he be something higher still? Even more than a good man, even more than a great teacher, do do, do we need another category? And if he's higher still, who is he? And if he is higher still, he must have massive claims upon my life, my mind, my soul, my will, everything that I am. If you put him too high, you'll have to bow before him and acknowledge his supreme claim. So, he was thinking about all of this. And on this particular date, in uh, 1931, he himself, just in his early 30s, after quite a, quite a meandering journey through life, He was going with his brother, Warney. He had an older brother. At times, their relationship was better than others. But he was going with his older brother, Warney, on a motorcycle. And the motorcycle had a sidecar. If you can envisage what that was like. Warney on the motorcycle, C.S. Lewis in the sidecar. And they were going on a visit to a zoo. Whipsnade Zoo in Bedfordshire, in England, a very famous zoo. Some of the good folks here will know exactly where it is, and they will know all about it. This is what he said. He said, when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. When we reached the zoo, I did. And that transformed C.S. Lewis' life. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he a teacher? That does not describe sufficiently the greatness of his person. Is he a prophet? Is he an angel? No. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I tell you people, that's it. Who is Jesus? Just a piece of Galilean history. Or is he God's son from heaven to save us from hell? I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. When he got into that sidecar, he did not believe that. When he stepped out, he was believing in Christ. And the rest of the story, you know it. I don't believe everything that C.S. Lewis wrote. Actually, I'm not a C.S. Lewis fan. He has a great fan club. I'll talk to you about that maybe some other day and some other thing. You might be a Narnia addict. I'm not particularly in the category, but the Lord bless you. But I'm just talking now about C.S. There's another man in the Bible. And he didn't get saved in the motor, in the sidecar of a motorcycle. <laughs> he got saved in an Ethiopian chariot trundling down the desert. And when he got into that chariot at Jerusalem, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. When he stepped out of that chariot to be baptized, he did believe. What a journey. What a journey. What a change. What a connection. What a confidence. What a conversion. Where are you in the journey of your life? 
We all are on a journey. I may be speaking to some, and you started your journey, and you heard some of the stories of the Bible, and you heard those beautiful stories of Jesus. You've gone away into higher education. You've been exposed to some of the philosophies, some of the ideas of men. You're drifting along. You're a little bit at sea. You're in the wilderness. You don't really know where you're going. You have nothing solid. Who can you trust? I look upon all you young people. You have a precious soul. As a human being, you will exist as an individual entity forever. Whom can you trust? I present to you tonight Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There is a trustworthy Savior. Maybe you have never, maybe you believe in God. That's where C.S. Lewis took the other step. He believed in God for a number of years. But there was something else needed. He believed that Jesus Christ was God's Son from heaven. I say that's a very, very stupendous thing. Just to think. Imagine God sending His Son. If He sent an angel, well, that's wonderful. If He sent a thousand angels, there are millions of them left. He has one Son. You say to me tonight, you don't really believe that God loved us so much that he gave just his one son. That's it, dear friend. People, that's it. God gave his own son, singular, irreplaceable, the unrepeatable gesture of everlasting love, gave his son for us sinners like us, God's son, God's son, the son of God. If Jesus is just a prophet, well... Interesting. If Jesus is another guru, we'll give it a consideration. We'll listen to what he says. If Jesus is the Son of God, I take off my shoes. I fall upon my knees. I bow upon my face. That God's love, Jesus displays God's love. He sent his own Son so that he might win you so that he might woo you, so that he might bring you and bring me into the fellowship of his great family, his own son. There's nothing like it, people. You know, the gospel is not an offensive man. It doesn't tell about a distant deity that sits upon the throne of heaven with a detachment. It's a God who has come close. Jesus displays the love of God because God had one son and he gave him. Would you trust him tonight? So that you trust in nothing. No religion, no creed, no commandment, no code, no ceremony. You trust in nothing. Your faith is totally placed on Jesus Christ. Tell me this, what about your sins? Well, you say that is a question. That is a question. And who will ever meet the claims of God? You see, I, I discover, I discover in talking around to people that people have got very, very wishy-washy idea of sin. I want to say this. Every sin that you have committed has invited upon your head everlasting vengeance. 
Who will be ever able to step into the breach where we deserve everlasting punishment and answer to the claims of God and say, Oh God, I will take the judgment that these people might be saved. I suggest tonight there's only one person. Because the Son of God, He not only displays the love of God, He answers the claims of God. That's what this man read. He read about, he read about a man who suffered. He went as a sheep to the slaughter. You know, I think about the uncomplaining Savior. When they spat upon his face, he never uttered a single murmuring word. Meekly he went to Calvary. And he suffered. And he died. And dear people in Midland Park, he answered to the claims of God. An angel could never have done it. But the Son of God could measure the claims of God. And thank God he did it all. And he did it well. What a sec- I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, he not only shows the love of God, and he answers to the claims of God, but he secures the salvation of God. Who's going to be able to get you to heaven? Take you, a little sinner from New Jersey, and have the power to put you down on the golden street of heaven. And not even the devil can... There's only one can do it, the Son of God. He's a great Savior. I believe that Jesus, that man of history that was born at Bethlehem, lived at Nazareth as a carpenter. They blamed him as a criminal and they put him on a cross. He died. He rose again. He has gone back to heaven. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, there we are, five o'clock. I'm just about to stop. But I'll tell you, I could talk all night about it. And I would love to keep you longer. I say to all you younger people, what about the claims of Jesus Christ? He displays the love of God. He meets the claims of God. He secures the salvation of God. And I have something very serious to say. You see, if you turn your back upon him, Your refusal of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will bring the wrath of God upon your head forever. When you refuse God's Son, you're touching the very heart of God. Because God loves His Son. And if you give the Lord Jesus an insult, And whoever you are, for whatever reason, you can turn away from Christ. Go wherever you will. Do whatever you want. Follow your career. Pursue your religion. Live a life of sin. Turn your back on Christ. It doesn't matter how far you travel or where you go, dear friend. If you turn your back on the Son of God, God will take a very dim view of it. And those who refuse the Son of God will have to bear the sentence of God. In hell forever. God forbid that it should be so. Thank God you could be saved tonight. I wonder is there someone here, and this is the problem in your life. You've, you've filled your life with all kinds of, of packing. And you've protected yourself. You're just in this meeting and you're screened before the message of the gospel. Maybe when you came into the parking lot in your car. 
The claims of Christ meant nothing to you. Maybe just now you're feeling the claims of Christ coming to your conscience. Dear sinner, dear sinner. Because that's just the Bible description of us all. Sinners, as a sinner, the Son of God is your only hope. May God grant that you'll trust him. You see, when you get back into your vehicle tonight, you could be like Lewis. You could be like the Ethiopian eunuch. One man in his brother's sidecar. Another man in the civil service chariot. You could have it in your Chrysler or your Ford. Say, I stepped out of the car, a sinner on the way to hell. I heard the story of love that cannot be measured. I heard the story of precious blood that was shed on Calvary for a sinner like me. I heard the story of a Christ who is mighty to save. And there in the auditorium at the school at Midland Park, or whatever the area is called, I put my trust in Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We might never meet again. I hope to leave tomorrow. We are leaving tomorrow, my wife and myself. I might never see you. But I will be in heaven. And if you want to be sure of meeting me, and I would love to meet you there, I can give you the secret. It's not a mystery. I'm going to be in heaven beyond the shadow of a doubt. And I'll tell you, dear people, unashamedly, and I'm not disguising anything, if you ask me, tell me, little Irish man, how can you be sure that the likes of you will be in heaven? Here is my passport. The Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. The Son of God loved me and he gave himself for me. And my passport to heaven is marked with the seal of the precious blood of Christ. I'll praise him forever. He's more than a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not a guru or a teacher. He's not a fine example. He's not an instructor in ethics. Dear friend, he's in a different category altogether. He's on a level with God, and he's God's Son come down to earth to die for us, and he died for you. I hope before you step out through the door that you'll be able to say, in the language of faith, personally, I've discovered, I've embraced it, I've taken it to myself. I've known for years that Jesus died. Tonight I recognize he is God's provision for me, the Son of God for me, God's provision for me. And I say, he loved me, and he gave himself for me. I trust that will be the case tonight. Dear friend, don't reject Christ. It's Christ, the Son of God. I hope that your repentance and faith will bring you to his feet and that you'll trust him as your Savior this very evening. And then, <laughs> will you say, well, I'd be as big a convert as C.S. Lewis. Well, I think, I think he'd share the 28th of September with you. And when you meet him in heaven... You'll be able to tell him that the Christ that he trusted in 1931, on the same date in 2014, you trusted the same Savior. Blessed Son of God, may it be so for God's glory.
and your eternal blessing. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for so many congregations.